one of the lead pastors here at the chapel, and it's my honor to open the scripture to the So if your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9, starting verse 36. We're going to be there the whole time. We're going to be looking at a story through the lens of our message series called Undaunted, where we're looking at stories of women and men, people who really pursued God in an incredible, gritty, um, let me think of another word for undaunted, brave, courageous way. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to look at a story where it's an interesting story because of the person's name. So let's just get that out of the way, okay? Acts chapter 9, verse 36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Now that word Dorcas literally means doe or gazelle. And poor Dorcas, when she got into middle school, the bullies shortened her name to Dork. Thank you, Seth, and one other person that laughed. It's not like I was waiting to share that joke all week or anything, so... It was a really bad dad joke, but no, Dorcas, uh, she uh, got her name, like I said, it, it meant doe or gazelle, and you're like, why would anyone ever call her that name or, or name her after an animal? Well, back in that day, especially in Hebrew culture, it was a really complimentary name. See, the gazelle is distinguished for its slender and beautiful form, its graceful movements, and its soft but brilliant eyes. It is frequently introduced by the Hebrews and other Oriental nations as an image of female loveliness, and the name was often employed as a proper name in the case of females. What I can't tell you is, I don't know if Dorcas was a babe. I don't know if she was beautiful on the outside, but she was beautiful on the inside. There was something glowing about her. Here's what Paul, or excuse me, uh, Luke, the doctor Luke tells us. In Acts 9, verse 36, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. That's why she got the name Dorcas. I don't know if she was beautiful on the outside, but I know beyond a shout out, she was beautiful on the inside. And that beauty radiated on the outside. She was known for doing good things, especially helping the poor. She had a servant's heart. The Greek text literally says she was full of goodness. It overwhelmed people when they were with him. Have you ever been with somebody who you're just like, man, that person's a really good person because of how they lived their life? Because you could see on the inside, it lived on the outside. She spent her whole life serving other people. I love what all of the women Bible, Hugh Zondervan says about this. When Luke says that Dorcas was full of good works, he meant the word full to refer primarily to her inward grace which prompted outward deeds. It was who she is. She served people. She loved people. She served the vulnerable and the poor. And we're going to see another group that she served who was a vulnerable uh, group that people forgot in a little while. But when it comes to serving, how many of us, if you're in my boat, and I hate admitting this, but it's true, there's a lot of times where I serve and I want people to notice. So if I know if it's going to impact somebody or people are going to see me, I'm more willing to serve. Or if I know it's going to help out my wife or my kids and maybe they're going to give a, oh, hey, you're a good dad, good husband kind of thing, I'm more prone to serve. But how many of us, it's just in us. It overflows out of us. We can't help being kind and loving and showing that with our deeds because it's who we are. And that's who Dorcas was. Do you notice that I love that Luke tells us she was always doing these things? Always. 
Not when the camera was on her, not when the spotlight was on her, not when she was going to get an ad a girl. It was just who she was, no matter who she was around. You knew she was going to care about you and care about the needs of other people. Four words described her. She lived to serve. How many of us wake up every single day and we say today, I want to live my life to serve other people? Now, it's easy to say, I want to live my life to be served. (laughs) We like when other people serve us, but when's the last time we woke up and say, today, because of who Christ is in me and who I want to be, I want to live to serve. Now, let me give a disclaimer. Some of us have confused living to serve with serving to live. There's a special woman in my life. I won't reveal who it is, but she's a close family member, and she is amazing. She is the person that you can depend on, but you can depend on her a little too much. She, in my recollection, unless it's an emergency or she's out of town, I've never seen her say no, and it's wearing her down. She's getting a little bit older, and I can even see when I interact with her she, her, her health is suffering because she can't say no. She doesn't live to serve. She serves to live. She does so because it gives her value. It gives her worth. And that's a good thing. But if you make it your ultimate thing, you're going to serve for the wrong purposes. I've never heard anyone speak an ill word of her, but I can tell that she does it because she's turned into a codependent person. She gets her fulfillment in making sure others are okay. The problem is, if you don't know how to say no, then you're not truly serving because you want to do it for Jesus. For Jesus knew how to say no. You see, every single day, Jesus spent time with the Father. He knew exactly what he said about himself, and he also knew what he was supposed to do for the day. And there are times in the Gospels, and every time I read it, I get so frustrated I'm like, Jesus, this person needs your help, and you walk by people. There are people requesting something from you, and you say no. How do you do that? It's because he's modeling what a good human being should do, a healthy human being. Listening to the Father and saying, you need to know when to say no. And if we don't know how to say no, we're not living to serve. We're serving to live. We can't find our identity in it. But others of us, maybe we say no a little too much. We've got to find that balance. We need to make sure we're saying some yeses. And if we're saying no too much, we're probably being a little selfish. We want to live like Dorcas. She knew that when she interacted with somebody, she knew how to say no, but she knew how to say yes. And when she said yes, she was known for helping other people. But the thing about the story is so interesting is I wish I could tell you the next thing that Dorcas did with her life, but her life changes very radically. Look what happens. Look what Luke tells us in Acts 9 now, 37, 38. About that time, she became ill and died. My God, geez, what a tragedy. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. Peter was one of the leaders of the church. So they sent two men to beg him, come, please come as soon as possible. And now what you're about to read is a game changer. And I want you to think, before I share the rest with you, I want you to think about your life now 
And I want you to think about your funeral. I know you're like, that's really weird to talk about. And I know that, but I want you to think about it. What are you going to be known for at the end of your life? What are people going to be saying about you? Will your life make a difference even after you're gone? Because Dorcas is dead. Look what happens. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to an upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping. And showing him the coats, excuse, showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. Interesting. Dorcas has died, and her legacy lives on through a bunch of widows. Some of you in this room are widowed. And you know, or widower, I should say both, widow and widower, and you know the pain of. Not just losing somebody, the person that you love the most, but you know the pain of being forgotten. My mom is a widow, and I know many people who love and care for her, but many people have also forgotten about her. You see, widows are a vulnerable group because so many people forget about them. So many people move on and live with their normal life, but then they forget about the widows or widowers in their life. And especially in the first century, when a widow, when a woman lost her husband and he died, the woman had no significance and value in that culture. If you weren't married to a guy, you were forgotten about completely. But not by Dorcas. Not by Dorcas. She remembered this vulnerable, often forgotten group and made clothes and coats for them because she loved all people. She lived her life to serve even when no one else even knew about her. Even when all these widows are forgotten and Peter comes, here's these widows, and they're saying, look, she didn't forget me. She lived to serve. How many of us, especially when people don't see it, especially for people that may not give us accolades, how many of us are serving those kinds of people? It's easy when you get attaboys. It's a lot harder when no one else knows about it, and you're still willing to do it anyways. See, she lived to serve. And I love what all the women Bibles say about her. Behind her sewing of garments was a saved soul. She didn't just live to serve. She used her abilities for the sake of others. What is your ability? Or what are your abilities? What are the things that God has gifted you with that not many people can do, and yet he's asking you to take those gifts and abilities and do something to impact the world even beyond when you're alive? Listen, if you were to come up to me and hold up a sewing needle. I wouldn't even know what that looks like. I don't know how to thread a needle. I can't do anything. I'm not good at that. But some of you are, like Dorcas. And so one of the groups that I love at the chapel, it's called our close chapel, let me say it again, chapel close-knit group. And they're out of Norwalk, and it's really cool. Some ladies in Port Clinton are going to launch a group here over the next few weeks as well. So be looking out for that. And they take their gift of sewing, which I think is so cool, and they use it for other people. 
For instance, we talked to one of the leaders recently since COVID, and she said, look, some of us, we're still making hats and scarves, and I'll be collecting them and looking for a place to donate them, like Salvation Army or Victory Kitchen. People who won't be able to afford a hat or gloves while you and I can just go to Walmart or Target and buy whatever we want, or Amazon, we can buy as much as we want. These people can't. They remember people who can't afford things, who would otherwise be cold, and they use their little stitching things. See, if you're, if you're so, you're laughing. I don't know what they're doing. I just know they're making beautiful stuff for people that can't. I love what they also do. I want to get this right, so I want to read this. They make red scarves for a foster care success program. These scarves are sent to kids that aged out of the foster care program or are sent to, sent to them on Valentine's Day when they're off to college. Are you kidding me? Someone who, who struggled to find love in their whole life and they're going off to college probably struggling again to fit in and on Valentine's Day when people are celebrating love, they're getting a, a scarf from someone that just cares about them. Or these ladies, they, they make afghans and prayer blankets for new families. I got one when I was, uh, when we had our little daughter when we moved back here and it just, it's so cool to know that they prayed over this and they care so much about me. See, my question is, you may not be good at sewing, like I'm not good at sewing, but what is your ability? You're good at something, I promise you. What is it? And how are you going to use it for the good of other people? You were not born to live life for yourself. So many people do, and they're so depressed, and they're sad, and they try to change so much about themselves because they think that's going to give them happiness. No, when we use our abilities and skills and gifts for God and for other people, that's when you come alive. How can you do that? How do you do that outside the church? And maybe how do you do that even inside the church? I want to give you just a couple examples of maybe how you can serve here, because people ask me, how do I use my gifts here? Here are some true needs that we have right now in our church. Are you good at cooking or baking? We have a ministry here called PEBT. Have you guys heard of it? It's Pastor Eric's baking team. It's a new ministry I started this morning. (laughs) Basically, it's this. If you're good at baking, bring it to me and I'll eat it. That's the ministry. If you want to make me happy, you can be a part of that team. But no, seriously, if you're good at cooking or serving, yes, I do want you to make me something. But there are people in our church who are going through cancer, who are going through the death of a loved one, who just had a baby and they're trying to figure out life because it's crazy. You can use your skills. We will put you on a team, and then you can sign up to bring a meal to somebody, and you're going to make them so happy and make life easier for them just by using your stove and your oven. Or maybe you're handy. You like to build things. Again, I am terrible at that. The handy person at our house is not the handy man. It's the handy woman. It's Paula. But some of you are really good at it. We have a ministry that we're a part of called ACT, and we do things locally and globally just to help people in need. When you leave church today, look over here. It's where our students are at in this little home over there. You see a new wheelchair ramp. That was built by our own Ron and Angie Chapman for one of our friends that can't get into their student ministry building because they need a wheelchair ramp. And what did we do? We built one. Not me. I can't do that. Ron and Angie can. Some of you can. You want to make a difference in someone's life? You want to get to the end of your life? You're like, did I really make it count? Use your abilities and gifts. <laughs> you have a heart for prayer? Some of you say, yeah, I like to pray. Others of you are like, man, I love to pray. 
like praying for somebody. I am gifted in that. Join our prayer team. We need people like you. I don't know if you know or not, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> our world is not going well right now. We need people talking to the Lord about that. Or if you're good with computers and you want to serve and all the things that you see happening and you love to worship here, it all happens back there. We need people that know how to do that, to help us on the weekend so we can have weekend services. Or, or maybe you love teenagers. Some of you are like, does anybody love teenagers? There's a few of you out there. I know it's there. I've said this before, and I'll never stop saying it. There was a guy in my life named Larry who loved teenagers, who started to serve at our Chapel Sandusky campus, and because of him, laid the foundation for me to be where I'm at today. You can have an impact on somebody. We're changing the way how we do high school ministry at all three of our campuses. We used to have more like services on a Sunday. We did that weekly. Well, we noticed that that's not the way to reach students. We need to have people. They don't have to have a theological degree. They just need to have love in their hearts, and maybe be good at baking or at least buying good food. Opening up your home once a week, once every other week, just to house high school students. And if you want to do that, we need you to love on students like I was loved when I was in high school. And the cool thing is what we are doing with our high school uh, ministries, we're going to do something called Last Sunday. Every last Sunday of the month, all students, all campuses together at our central campus, Sandusky. Uh, the first one, October 25th, 630 to 8, it's going to be huge. We're going to do that once a month, and then the other times our students gather, I want them to gather in your homes because you're going to love and serve them, and you will make an impact in their lives way beyond what you can imagine. Those are just certain ways to do that, and if you want to be a part of that, you can text serve to this phone number, or the easiest way is we're going to give you a card at the end. Check off something that you want to do. You can put it in our giving boxes on the way um, out, or if you need time to pray about it, bring it back, or you can just text on the bottom. It tells you how to do that. And if you're like, I don't want to do any of those things, but there's some things I can do, how do I sign up? Just put your name and put other, and we'll get in contact with you. But the most important thing is you live to serve. And we serve each other, and when we take care of each other's needs, the Bible says we also go outside of the, of the walls and we serve other people. Because you know how people are going to come to know Christ? By your love, by your acts of kindness, through your acts of service. And they're going to make a difference. Well, the end of the story is very, very interesting. And I want to share that with you. What happens to our friend Dorcas? You say, well, she's dead. Not every person that dies has to stay dead. And that's the cool thing about Jesus. Look what happens. Acts 9, 40 through 41. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Peter would be a very good person on our prayer team. That's for sure. Because... Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Some of you are saying, oh, okay, now I, like, I can get behind the old kindness and serving people. Can't get behind someone raising from the dead. I'll give you Jesus, because he's God, but now you're going to tell me a guy named Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. I struggle with those stories, too. But then I thought, who wrote Acts? Luke. What was Luke's occupation? A doctor. A doctor who was full of reason, full of science, saw a person raised from the dead. And he's like, even though it goes against everything I've known, I'm writing it in because he believed. And I thought that was really cool. We had a guy come to church for the first time today, and he um, has a very scientific reason background. And he said, 
At first, when you talk about raising from the dead, I didn't really get behind that, but then you said a doctor did it, and it's a historical document. That changed my mind. I said, yeah, me too. So she gets up, and then he called the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. I love the story. Yes, Dorcas, she lived to serve, and she used her abilities for the sake of others. We're called to do that. And the neat thing for her is she lived to serve another day. And the cool thing about what happens, the news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. But you know what's so great? Hopefully, you don't have to die soon. Resurrection for us comes a little bit later than it is for, for Tabitha through Jesus. But why not serve now? Your days are numbered, but you still have today, and so do I. You want to make an impact in someone's life? You want to be known for something after you die? Do what Dorcas did. Live, but live to serve other people. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you live to serve because you did that so that I could be alive. And you made us alive, God, not just for ourselves. We are so selfish. We are always asking others to serve us. But Lord, you're calling us to the selfless, purposeful life. That is, it comes through truly understanding what we can do and doing something about it every moment of every day. Thank you for Dorcas and others who live that out right before our eyes. Help us to do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone will be around today.